All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of Kente Corner, your favorite casual Hoya basketball podcast. I'm your host, Bobby Bancroft, and I'm coming to you live on tape delay, as they say, after Georgetown drops a 97-75 decision to Xavier. Georgetown is now 6-24. and They are 0-19. They've lost 20 straight. Their 24 losses are an all-time school record. But the good news is, for a lot of you listeners, a lot of our great listeners here on Kente Corner, I've been finding out that Nationwide Nolan is a bit of a fan favorite. And I've been getting a little bit of pushback that you haven't been on recently. And just a little newsflash to everyone that listens, while this pod does generate some money, that's a lot different than real money or a lot of money. So basically this pod happens when people have time and you haven't been on and it's not because I didn't want you to, but Nolan, you're back. We can start in a lot of places. Do you want to start with the game? Is there something else that maybe has been happening the last couple of weeks that you want to just jump right into? I will leave it open to you since you have become a fan favorite. Well, I appreciate that. (laughs) Uh, It's, I don't know what there is to say about the game. It's, I guess you could argue they had shown a little bit more fight recently with the Seton Hall and DePaul games, even Villanova on the road. But tonight was against the desperate Xavier team, and you never really stood a chance. I mean, defensively, same old story, 54 points and a half. It's, I, I, I don't really have much to discuss about the game. It was pretty ugly. So I'm sure people are more interested in the big picture things, which – Never thought we'd be here, but we are. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'll say this. Scruggs is a senior, right? Is he is he done with his eligibility? Yeah, he took the COVID year. Okay, good, because I love that last name. Lee Scruggs, one of yeah. my all-time favorites. I don't like Xavier having a Scruggs. Every time I hear Scruggs, I can't help but have happy thoughts. So, glad <laughs> to see him go. Just one more thing from the game. I mean... You know, the three-point shooting, we we know it's a problem. It's been a problem for five years now. To shoot 56% to make, what was it, 14 of 25. You know, Johnson, right? I think, is he he one of their grad transfers? Yeah, another senior. Yeah, uh... you know, I mean, like, you know, look, I know that you and I both feel like it's a little bit of fool's gold, some of the three-point shooting Georgetown's had when it's gone well, even in losses. Mm -hmm. but what Johnson did tonight, like, you know, to have any shot in any Big East game, that's what you need from Caden Rice. You know what I mean? Like for him, yeah. to play, for him to play 30 minutes, you know, to go three for 13, one for nine from deep, you know, I'm not trying to blame this all on Caden and he's obviously had a good, you know, season shooting. He broke a bunch of records, the single game record, the single season record. But I mean, you know, the gumbo, as we heard last <laughs> year, this year's gumbo includes, Caden Rice going off for three, uh, you, you know, Don Carey joining him and then just finding a way, you know, to get to 80 points somehow. Right. I mean, like, so that's kind of, you know, my parting shot for this, this very uh, tough looking box score. Yeah, I think you're right. I think you need a combined just out of those two guys, 10 to 12 threes to win one of these games. Um mm-hmm. It feels like they've gotten that once in a while out of those two, but it still hasn't been enough. Yeah, so a lot of stuff, a lot of stuff since last time you were on. Let's just set the table with what just happened. So one of the only positives really to come out of COVID from a media standpoint would be that, you know, if you didn't go to the game, you didn't get to talk to the players or the coach. Now for Georgetown, it's usually just the coach, usually just Patrick Ewing. You get players mixed in there. You better chance if they win. Although we have seen them in losses recently, which is definitely an upgrade. But the idea that you know I'm in my house trying to put my son to bed, he's watching Space Jam a little bit, and I'm like, hey, I gotta go talk to that guy, the guy on the TV. I'm gonna go talk to him. So we did get to have Patrick, and you know I asked a couple of questions. It sounds like Ego FA could have gone in if they needed him, all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, again, you know, he said they didn't execute the game plan. But the real interesting thing is that Patrick tweeted yesterday, basically what we think is in response to 
John Feinstein's weekly segment on the Sports Junkies, where Feinstein, who is you know in, you know the best-selling author, longtime Washington Post columnist, he kind of knows better than to say I heard a rumor. That sounds like something like maybe I would say if I was on the Sports Junkies. I'm a little surprised that John Feinstein did. Yeah, and, and you know it picked up some steam. Uh, I think I think I included it in my uh, my post about what's a better job, Maryland or Georgetown, but. Patrick, who this early this year say he doesn't like social media, which is a totally fine stance to take. We'd probably all be better without social media. He got up there and tweeted. So I asked him about it, and he basically just said, look, you know, um, I tweeted because I don't want anyone else putting out there that I'm retiring. If I'm retiring, it's going to come from me or the university. And then he he nixed any possible chance for a follow-up. But doesn't it seem like in the past couple of days that from going from last Sunday after the game where he said, I hope to be back. And even with Lee Reed's interesting statement sprinkled in, it does. I've always been, I think Patrick's coming back. It does seem to be yeah. like it's wobbling a bit, right? I was interested this week, the fact that you didn't get the president's name on that statement, that it was only from the athletic director. Yeah. And now you have Ewing not being all that defiant about it. I mean, he said he's not a quitter, but. I mean, the, the quote tonight about I'll retire when I say so, it just, I, and we just mentioned this before we got on air about, are you are you really going to go into the Big East tournament this week without a definitive answer one way or another? It's, I don't know if we're going to hear anything in the next three days, but to have them go in there to MSG with no real clarity about which way that's going, it's. I don't nothing would surprise me from this from this program, but you would think we'd get a little bit more clarity, maybe after the game, I don't know when, but one way or another, it's just to everybody it doesn't really seem fair that from Patrick to everybody maybe he does know, but for the fan base for everybody, we need an answer pretty soon here, yeah, well, so I mentioned this with Andrew the other day, you know I was you know, part of my Associated Press coverage, you know, we did request to talk to to Lee Reed and to Joya and basically just the idea of, you know, what are the goals and expectations of the program because mm-hmm. it seems like they change sort of based on what's going on. Uh, but that that being so, you know, they did put that uh, statement out there. Uh, the Associated Press, I, I, I'm sure, isn't the only, you know, news outlet that was interested in talking to the president and the AD. I would say this as far as if he were to retire, I think that, you know, the players have obviously been through a lot this season. I I think if you're a player and you find out your coach is retiring and you have to go up to New York as, you know, you're the 11 seed, that would probably not be great is my guess. Mm -hmm. So I could see that being a reason why if he knew he was going to retire, why maybe yeah. you hold it until afterwards. That would probably be mm-hmm. the biggest thing. But I think from a program standpoint, you know, um, if you listen when I had the guy from DePaul, you know, I think he said like right after the Big East tournament, their ID was like, Jerry's our guy. And then they made Wainwright yep. fire his son and get all new assistants. And then he didn't even last, I don't think, 10 games into the next season. Yeah. But uh, you're right. It has to happen immediately one way or the other, you know, whether you're recruiting for Portal or – if your coach is going away, you need to figure out who your new coach is going to be. Right. Yeah. So. No, as, as early, I mean, some of these conference tournaments in the lower levels are ending this weekend. So the portal is going to be, you, you need to have some idea of a plan, which way you're at it. Now we, we both mentioned real quick, cause I know we've both been on the Kim English train, not necessarily like to come to Georgetown right away, but just mm-hmm. in identifying someone that looks like they could fit that role at some point, just his style you know, you know, just being a young guy that seems to understand how the world's working in 2022. That being said, they played a UMass team today that, you know, UMass said, hey, we're going to go a different way. And they've been playing their butts off for McCall. They've won their yeah. last, they've won their last two games. <laughs> I mean, you, you, you never know which way it's, it's going to go, right? If, if a coach yeah. announces yeah, I mean, if anything, maybe it would take some pressure off the guys and just go play loose. I mean, they play plenty loose anyway, but you know what I mean. Yeah. 
Um, so that's not the only things that have come out this week. Let's just assume Patrick is staying, which is what mm-hmm. the statement kind of said and what his tweet kind of said. And if he got an extension and all these things, I mean, I've always thought he was going to stay, but I, I, I could be talked the other direction at this moment. The rumors of Brodus. What are your first thoughts on that? If that's a real thing. My first thought when I heard it was it makes sense because at this point it feels like the program values a select group of people more than it actually does the basketball program. And Kevin Brodus, I was a proponent of bringing him back in 2011. I mean, even with the Binghamton stuff, I'm not naive enough to, I mean, the stuff that went on there was pretty bad, but in the end, I admit I like to win games. I thought he could help us do that, but He's 58. It'd be his third time through the program. He's part of the inner circle. Everything about it just feels lazy and tired. And it's, to me, if your idea of change is to bring him back, I mean, what's next? I mean, Sidney Johnson, David Cox, once he's fired from Rhode Island, I mean, it never ends. It's, And I like Kevin Brodus in a vacuum, I think. I think you could argue how good of a recruiter he actually is with what happened in his stay at Maryland. Seems like he kind of trailed off a little bit there. Um, but it's if you were going to actually make changes, I would need something substantial. And I'm talking about, and they would never do this, but take whatever money you had allocated towards a buyout and just become a heavy hitter with your staff hires like, have him bring Steve Clifford down to college to be a special assistant, not on the road recruiting, but help him X and O wise. Well, it's funny so, you say that because I think I've mentioned numerous times here that I talked to Clifford about, you know, mm-hmm. Patrick taking the job and his thing was like, I love college. Yeah. I hate recruiting. And he was like, if I ever yeah. got back into college, I would want to do it at a lower level because mm-hmm. it's more about coaching, but go on. Sorry. Yeah. Well, for someone like him, if you put him in, off-the-road recruiting, just special assistant, doesn't have to recruit. And then go to Virginia Tech, say, hey, Mike Jones, we're going to match whatever you're making here. Come back home, help us, be associate head coach. Go to Ohio State, say, Tony Skin, what are you making? We'll match it. Like, you need some star power on that bench as far as assistant level coaching goes. If you were going to just say you're going to, try to support Patrick and mobilize him with the best staff possible. Now, if your answer to that is only hiring the Thompson family and friend group, what are we doing here? It's we're past that point. Like, and I had said something the other day that your decision was to fire the smartest basketball mind out of that entire group. And now you're going to cycle back through all these people who I don't want to say they directly helped them fail, but they were part of that era of basketball, Georgetown petering out. Whether yeah. it was Robert Kirby, Waheed, or now Brodus, it's just the same story. Um, that if you're not part of that inner circle, don't bother looking for a job here. Yeah, and that kind of takes me in a different direction. I wanted to, we can talk about Brodus in a second, but this idea that it, you know Georgetown has to be thompson related mm-hmm. i think doesn't make sense given the actions right because mm-hmm. what we've seen you know coach k tonight you know got his last home game ruined by <laughs> former like Brett bruin hubert davis who i don't think is having a particularly awesome season but they haven't set themselves up in a way that they gave them all these options you know like like yeah. he had Basically, the last I think seventeen years of his career, he had you know you know uh, Eshrick and Riley and Spriggs. You had Fenlin doing what she was doing. You didn't have guys coming through, and I know it's changed with the the in Thompson's most of Thompson's career. You didn't have all the you know direct basketball operations and all these special assistants, but they didn't say, "Hey, you need to if you want to be a coach here, you need to start here." that I need to have mm-hmm. you go somewhere else and learn some different things, see how someone else does it. And then yeah. if I come and I need you, you're going to know what I know and mm-hmm. you're going to know what someone else knows. And then you're going to decide 
what you think is best. I mean, I'll tell you just a little bit. When I came back in the summer um, to my to my high school, and I was you know coaching passing league and doing some uh, JV summer league ba- uh, JV summer league basketball. My 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 coach there was like, look, you know, if you want to get into this, which I never did, um, unfortunately, because you know it's a lot of fun. But it's like you can't just you know play it like Braddock, come back and coach it like Braddock. That's not how this is going to work. You're going to have to go somewhere else, yeah. and, I, and I can help you. And you know, and it's like, duh. Yeah. But the funny part of it is, where are the ex alums that we've brought into the staff, even in a minor role? And I don't mean to keep harping on who they hired for a director of ops or the other yeah. support support staff positions, but when you see a Reggie Cameron at St. Joe's, Tyler Adams, and congratulations to him. They just had a big one today at Alcorn State. I mean, there aren't many Georgetown alums out there that are on coaching staffs, but it doesn't seem like that opportunity has existed for them. And you've spent these resources and staff positions on people who, as far as I can tell, just look like friends and family. Yeah, and I think what, what's what's crazy is is that for the school that we're talking about, Patrick Ewing Jr., who I think actually would have been a great mm-hmm. addition to the staff, even though they did they did find you know a role for him to perform because he's he's on the younger side, and you know even though he's not super young, you know, but he's on the younger side. But once it was you know he can't be one of one of Patrick's three assistants or yeah. the Dobo. I think it's clear that if we all said like, Hey, in 10 years, if this, this job opens up, is, is Patrick Ewing Jr. going to be in the mix for, I think we'd all say, uh, yeah. And I'm surprised he did. I I know he's, he's been to Canada once and I guess he's going back. That's a little different though. Right. Like I'm surprised they didn't just make up a call and say, Hey, you're going to go to UNLV or, you know what I mean? Like you're Mm going to go somewhere because it seems clear. Like he would be one of the guys that you would want to be getting that kind of, uh, experience for the future and that's I think one of the big things that this program has missed and to be honest they got lucky as hell that JT3 got into coaching and was pretty good at it and, and he's so, he's the, I mean you hit on it with John Thompson Jr. that he just kind of kept the same assistance for a long time and never really seemed like that was of the utmost importance to him and then it's failed now with the support you put around the head coach. JT3 is really the only guy who understood it. I mean, you look at the first staff he put in place, they all went on to be Division One head coaches. Yeah. And even the later hires he made, like Kenya Hunter. Kenya Hunter maybe was lateral moves at the time, but he bounced around Nebraska, then UConn wanted him, and now Indiana wanted him, and guys were valued. And it's they've just they've fallen flat in that department. Well, and then – uh, Hardy, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, is out one. there. Um, uh, Americans had a couple of the guys. You know who's actually a name? I gotta keep remembering. I want to go back to Brodus. Um, Prue is someone mm-hmm. that I've heard that got credited with a lot of the development of Jeff, yeah. yeah, of Roy, of some of the other guys, and. He was at T.C. Williams, which I guess now it's called Alexandria City. I should know since uh, they're an employer of uh, people in my family. But um, it's like a pretty big job locally as far as public schools go. Like the T.C. job is kind of a big deal. And actually at his press conference, JT3 introduced him. He got into an incident this year where, look, it's not great, but parents were heckling him. And instead of an administrator taking care of it, like he and everyone has a phone now. So like he went up to talk to the guy and that he ended up getting let go after a couple games. Uh, you know, someone posted Jesse Sapp highlights the other day. I think it was maybe Patrick Waring or the nuts and bolts hour. And you could see Hardy talking. Or I'm sorry. You could see Prue talking to Sapp. You could see him very active on mm-hmm. the sideline. And I mean, look, I don't know what he's doing. I almost want to send him a message and be like, Hey, yeah. cause I mean, like he, like I said, he was credited with helping a lot of those dudes, he was a great player himself. Uh, didn't end up at Georgetown. He originally was going there. He ended up at West Virginia. But you know, those are there are some guys I think that could cycle through. But getting back to Brodus, you know, people ask me like, "Hey, is it like a money thing?" Because he's the head coach at Morgan State, and mm-hmm. you don't know what Georgetown's paying their assistants because they're private. 
So I looked up what UConn is paying their top guy. The most recent data, Young's making about $320,000 a year. So let's just assume he, and you know, I, I, he's, he, he's the highest paid assistant. Uh, he making more than the Moore or uh, Bill Murray's kid. Mm-hmm. Um, Brodus at Morgan State making about that. And as, as far back as five years ago, when Ewing or whoever decided that he wasn't going to stay, remember they kept Waheed and you, you had Brodus. Yeah. And I remember at the time, thinking that it was kind of a bummer that Brodus was going to Maryland. Um, Brodus's first contract at Maryland five years ago was 327000 So it doesn't see, it seems like it's kind of a lateral move, right? Like the Morgan State money is the head coach. Now, one thing to consider, uh, Morgan State's athletic director left to go to Virginia. So I don't know okay. if, if that was Kevin's guy or something. Mm-hmm. Um, also, the MEAC is kind of in a bit of a problem, like, you know, with, the conference realignment and stuff like they've been losing schools and there, there is some uncertainty, you know, with, with the MEAC, but between the AD leaving and all that stuff. So I, I could definitely see Kevin wanting to go, but for anyone that thinks going from the head coach at Morgan state to an assistant at Georgetown is an upgrade in pay. That's probably unlikely. It's anything. It's, it's probably about the same and the best we can do. Cause the whole big East conference is private except for UConn. So you can't find out any of the, salaries unless you know someone decides to tell you yeah it's the i mean i don't have a good authority on this but from my understanding just roughly is that they never really were all that willing to pay top dollar for assistance which it's kind of they are willing to pay top dollar for a head coach so it's it's i would rather pay a coach two and a half million dollars and allocate more resources towards the staff, but that's another discussion. I think the first time when I sort of realized everything wasn't great was when Cox went to Rutgers mm-hmm. because they were offering more money. Yeah. And I thought, wait, what? I mean, that, that's like, that's like 10 years ago, but the idea that Rutgers basketball, which I guess, you know, they're attached to football, big 10, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess maybe at that time they were still in the big East, but um, just the idea that Rutgers basketball is going to put more money into their assistance in Georgetown. I remember thinking like that doesn't make sense, but yeah. you know, it is what it is. Uh, yeah. I, I think, you know, there's been a lot of stuff with Ronnie Thompson out there as well too. I mean, you know, going back all the way to 2017, you know, Rothstein put it out there that he was the chief of staff and that's just sort of been where we are. I know that there's been other stuff out there. There's no definitive answer kind of like with Georgetown, it's like what they don't tell you. You have to listen to that. Like I asked multiple mm-hmm. times this season and, you know, they were unable, they just chose not to comment on it, on it, um, you know, about, you know, did, did Patrick get an extension? Does Ronnie Thompson have a position with the athletic department? Is, you know, employees, a contracted employee. And, um, you know, I've just been told there's no comment. So if I asked them if Nolan is, you know, working for the athletic department, I think they would say no. So I think it's pretty obvious that he does work there. I think we all have known that. Um, It's just such an odd thing. If if you had to pick one Thompson to be in charge of the chief of staff, whatever that means, it -hmm. seems like he isn't the one that you would pick. No. It's people can, I don't know. And people can debate on how much power he wields or whatever actual title he has just the idea that you would fire his brother and then what two three months later hire him in any sort of capacity it (laughs) you just you can't explain this to anybody who doesn't follow the program because it makes absolutely no sense and it's especially when you factor in okay we're going to keep one of the old assistants that help JT3 lose his job and we're going to rehire somebody who was here before who now is out of work. Let's go get the other guy back from China because he played pro hoops with Ewing and the director of ops job. Let's give it to a guy who a decade ago was on Ronnie's Ball State staff and since then has been at the high school level. It's (laughs) And then the cherry on top, like you said, is Okay, we also have a nepotism clause that's going to prohibit Patrick Ewing Jr., probably the best candidate to fill out a position on the staff. It wipes him out of it. It's 
and you look back in hindsight, it's, you know, I never thought it would get this bad, but with the way they set it up from the start, it's, I mean, you can't be surprised at this point that we're here in year five. They're at a position that I don't think anyone would have thought, you know I mean? Like if you say, oh, they're having a bad year. Yeah. You know, but Butler's having a bad year, right? Yeah. Like, you know, I think it's. Sorry, you no. mentioned to me the other day that McDermott should be coach of the year in the conference. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. They're a parallel. They have, like, I think two holdovers, like Kalkbrenner's a sophomore. They added the grad transfer. It's a ton of freshmen. They just lost their starting point guard, and they're going to walk in the NCAA tournament. And you can compare us to Marquette as well. Transfers, freshmen, and Shaka's got them up and running. And the idea that you could get a reset in the year six, you were supposed to be working on the reset now in year five when you lost Jamarco and Javon, even Wahab once he transferred. Like, you needed to show some sort of progress. And the thing, the bar was so low this year to get that bridge in the next year. Just the fact that there is a debate on if you can bring him back at 0-19 tells you if you just could have found your way, make some progress, win five, six games, there would be no discussion. And whether people liked it or not, we would be heading into next year. But it's it's remarkable. There's a lot of research to be done. Again, like I mentioned, um, I don't have all the time in the world to do this type of stuff, but the gap between the 11 seed and the 10 seed is, you know, six games, mm-hmm. you know, um, it's really starting to look, you know, I'm not sure. And no one knows who's coming back or who people are going to add, but it looks to me like DePaul sort of has it figured out. Like they're actually, I don't know if I can admit this or not. They're actually kind of fun to watch. No, they are. DePaul is light years ahead of Georgetown right now. Yeah. Coaching talent. They got, I believe it's the new AD from Kentucky, right? PV, I think is the name. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, they are running circles around you, which it's hard to fathom, but it's, it's the reality right now. And, and, and that's, that's kind of where, where it is, you know, I mean, when they lost to Dartmouth, I'd already put in a prediction of five and 15 in the league. And basically I figured you could get there. Okay. Let's say you split with DePaul, St. John's and Butler. You're already at three. Usually, there's always one game. Like, for instance, you know, I I don't know if you saw in the game thread, I I went down memory lane the the only time that Georgetown's won at Xavier. They beat a team. It was their only home loss of the season. Um, 2016, Xavier ended up being a a two-seed in the tournament. They lost Mm -hmm. to Wisconsin in the second round, but they were were a two-seed. So basically every season you usually have a game like that, that you win, that you would never predict last year. I would have said it's the Creighton game on the road, you know? Yeah. That gets you to four. And then it's like, you can find a way to win one more game. Maybe you sweep St. John's or, you know, Butler or or DePaul, or, you know, maybe you beat Providence or Ooh, Seton hall. So even though five and 15, you're like, Oh, that's just, that's terrible. It didn't seem like you had to do a ton to get there. And I mean, and I think it was it would... there. I mean, Seton Hall was begging you to beat them both times. Yeah. The Providence home game, Providence was just trying to hand you that game. It's, I mean, you are now the team that nobody takes seriously. And look, you know, no one's been going to the games. Patrick's obviously a very proud person. He, you know, I was talking to people, you know, recently about it. Like, it's hard to understand the mindset of someone like him because mm-hmm. for a long period of his life, he was one of the best people in the world at what he did yeah. as a player. So, like, no offense for, you know, me and you. We think we can be smart here and there. We think we can be clever. We think we know what's going on. Like, this is someone that at what he did was the absolute best. And I think that's the mindset that we can't really tune into. That being said, I know he's not enjoying what's going on right now. And I just haven't, I just haven't heard enough from him. Like even tonight we didn't execute. Well, Mm -hmm. it's like, 
okay, well, have you considered that your plan, while it might be a winning strategy, it's not a winning strategy with these players? Yeah. What's what's the alternative plan? <laughs> and, and And that's where I just don't understand and I don't have a lot of faith that they can turn this around. I just, I just don't know. This is why you, you change assistance after a year or two Mm -hmm. and you avoid it. Yeah. Yeah, Because now it's like, how are you going to get a really good one? Like who's going to come here? Unless, unless it's someone, you know, I've had people say, you know, like Mike Rice, right? Like someone that is just out of it. And there's a reason, right? So you'd have to get someone that just needs an opening to get back or you Mm -hmm. have to pay double market value because of yeah. where you are and the risk it is to come here. And that's where I'm just wondering like how how does shuffling the assistance work? I mean, that's obviously like the path to changing things. I don't know how you do it here. No, and it's and I've had this thought for a while now is you don't even know how much he's willing to empower the assistants. And we've talked about this when Louis Yor yeah, I think that's kind of like our only glimpse is like the, the whole yeah. zone, no zone, yeah. But yeah, and or told you afterwards, like, hey, we thought it gave us a chance. We played it pretty well, and we never saw it again. And <laughs> on the, well, we didn't execute. If you're a coach, then there's a problem with either something's been lost in translation to get them to execute, or what you're trying to execute is wrong to begin with scheme-wise. So it's that's the thing you and you can't pass the buck to the players in college sports because you're responsible for acquiring them for developing them and retaining them so if anybody tries to say well we have no talent it's not his fault yeah it is (laughs) there's nowhere to hide as a college coach and you can change the staff but the fact that you stuck with the same staff for five years which was a poorly hired plan or poorly hired staff to begin with and then you wrote it out for five years and now your parachute is going to be let's change the entire staff going into year six it's i just i don't think it's acceptable and it sucks but it's it's hard to see this going into year six no matter who's on the bench yeah and that's you know that's coming from just you know looking at the results and here's what's going I think that there's, and I think I've said this before, there's this idea of, is it stubbornness? Is it loyalty? Because like for us, we can say, yeah, you've got to change your staff. And then for the head coach and, you know, Pat, you know, Patrick's not, and that's just, this is other thing too, about like your perspective of looking at an object. You know, I look from over here, you're looking from over there. You get a guy like, um, like uh, Mike Rhodes, who, mm-hmm. when we were doing our basketball camps, we were going to Randolph-Macon because the coach of my high school played there. Yeah. And he was a counselor. I think he's maybe like six, seven years older than me. He's a counselor at Randolph-Macon. He's an assistant at Randolph-Macon. And all those steps through the way, and you realize guys go away, you know, maybe this year you're someone that's not married. You sleep on someone's couch half the year. Mm-hmm. Like just like the, the like the rough, brutal life of an assistant yeah. coach before you get to places where you actually make some money. And mm-hmm. if you're someone like Patrick, you know, it's like, well, I trust these guys. I believe in these guys. If they go away, like and I, I'm not even nerdy enough to know like who's got kids where, what the family situation, but it's not as just saying like someone's going away. It's basically yeah. like, well, he goes away. His kids go to this school. Like, what am I doing to this guy's life? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, like I, th- I think that those are things. I'm not saying that that's the reason that you do things or that's the reason Patrick's doing things, but I think that that is something that maybe doesn't get thought about when we're just saying, yeah, send this guy to Elon and we need the guy from here and all that kind of stuff. So there is the whole stuff. There is like the loyalty part of it too. We're like, Hey, look, if we get the right players, we can, we can fix it. And if I tell this guy he's got to go away, like I'm ruining, not ruining his life, but I'm, I'm, I'm changing his life. Yeah. I mean, from all accounts from, you know, we followed Patrick's career for the last 30 years. He's by all accounts, a very loyal person. So yeah. that wouldn't surprise me at all. Um, it's, it's tough. Whenever you get to the point where you're saying, Hey, we need to change the entire staff. It's usually a signal that the, 
the entire thing needs to be wiped clean. Did you, so wait, did you read the game thread at all on uh, Casual Hoya? I have not. Okay, that's that's fine. That's, that's totally, I, I totally get it. So I, I just wanted to ask you this. Where's the right box score? I wanted to play, like, do, do, do you remember this? Okay, I got it. The one time Georgetown won at Xavier. Georgetown wins 81-72. Um, I'm sure that you can remember, like, what the game was, right? Like, it's like a specific player game. That is the Trey Campbell game, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, yes. It's the Trey Campbell game. But anyway, so do you want to take a guess at the starters? Uh, what year was that? Was that? 2016. So it's the 2015-16 season. So 16. Um, had to have been DSR. Yeah. DSR peak. No peak. So here, here's who peak, comes off no. your bench. Just, just, just to give you an idea about like what the talent level was like. Okay. Mm-hmm. Coming off your bench is peak Govan and Derrickson. <laughs> <laughs> That's the thing when you try to just, there's no comparison to this year's team. And yeah, it's, oh boy, we have fallen quite a ways. So the 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 starters are, are Cameron, Copeland, Hayes, Campbell, and DSR. Hmm. Georgetown shot ten for twenty five from three. They assisted twenty one assists on twenty six makes. One of those perfect nights. And that season, really, you know, at that point they're twelve and seven. They're five and two in the league. They end up losing to Connecticut at a conference, but then they beat Creighton, so they get to six and two in the league. And they finish at seven and eleven. I mean, everything just came off. I'm sure there were some injuries or something. Yeah. But um, it, you know, it's obviously easy to go back and look at things and how they were and this and that. But that's why I want to know what the goals and expectation of Georgetown basketball are because I don't know how you get to those goals with the current group. And if you want to tell me that the goals have changed, then I can start understanding where we are and start to understand, or I'm sorry, have better guesses at what's going to happen. Because when they made changes in 04 and 17, the verbiage that they used about like national pro- national prominence and competitiveness yeah. and, you know, the national picture, you know, mm-hmm. if you're going by those same standards, it's hard to understand, you know, how something hasn't been said already, if that makes sense. No, totally. It's, if you want to compete at a national level, it's, it's not good enough. And if those standards have changed, then I would tell the university you are investing way too much money into this product i'm not nerdy enough to know about the the endowment and any sort of problems around the hospital like i'm not on that level it's more of like the mm-hmm. the hoya talk world of you know the guy that runs toy sacks and all that stuff like all i know is sort of what's going on with that athletic department and we have an idea based on the most recent tax information like what you know what jt3 was paid out what what patrick mm-hmm. was making when it started and all that stuff and they definitely pay like they want to be a top 25 program. And I mean, I um, never, I'm always skeptical of those lists that come out about the budgets for the basketball programs. But I mean, it is commonly assumed we're at least one or two in the Big East, right? As far as the money spent. Right. Right. And, and, then, and then it becomes like, well, how much is that as Capital One Arena? Yeah, you know, that, that yeah, kind of always gets like, like, how much yeah. is just rent? But I think for compensation for the coaches, it's mm-hmm. it's there. At least that coach, yeah. Yeah. Anything else? I know. I mean, I'll be honest with you, man. Like, you know, I cover the team. Um, I followed the team forever. The all like, I need something to be said, per, like you know, hundred percent one or the other. Because, I, and I, I, you know, if you're listening to this, I love you, and that's great. But man. It's been just so negative and depressing as far as the <laughs> tweets. And, you know, I get that there's nowhere to go, but maybe we all need to just go take a walk around the park. It's, <laughs> but I, I mean, for me, and we're, we are two people who did not attend Georgetown and right. we're podcasting about a game at 11 o'clock Eastern <laughs> after they have finished the year 0 and 19. Yeah, and you you have already lost a ton of people like that who didn't have any affiliation to Georgetown, just love the basketball team, 
And I don't know if I'll – I mean, I'll watch the games next year just because I watch basketball. But for people who are out, like, I get it. I mean, our friend John said, hey, if you don't care, neither neither will I. Um, and it's hard not to feel that way, to say, hey, is this even worth it to follow this team anymore? If, if We at least need an answer one way or another pretty soon here so we know we know where they stand. We do, and I think I'm going to put a challenge out there. If you're going to go all in negative, I need the gallows humor to be to be funnier, because <laughs> you know I need I need something uh, between you know the comments at Casual Hoya, stuff on Hoya Talk, you know Twitter. I need it to be a little you know I there's definitely some good stuff. I need better stuff because it's sort of making me feel like, man, like there's nowhere to turn. Like, you know, we all need to at least, I don't know. There needs to be something. There just needs to be something. Um, And speaking of, you know, things happening quick, there's obviously been a lot of NBA rumors, you know, Van Gundy's involved, all that kind of stuff. Do you think anything would happen until, I mean, obviously they're not coaching, but if you're going to add NBA people to your staff and maybe it's other people that he worked with or whatever, that wouldn't happen soon. Right. Because just because of the NBA schedule. Yeah. I, I would be shocked if you saw, I mean, specifically the Van Gundy's you're not matching the money they make with TV. I mean, they would have to be some seriously loyal people. Although Jeff Van Gundy, I heard him on a podcast recently where I guess the Van Gundy nickname for Ewing was, what was it? Um, maybe it was the mortgage they called him just because he paid it every year for, for the family. <laughs> um, so I have no doubt they're loyal and would try to do anything they could to help him. But for either Jeff or Stan to dip down to this level and do it, it would be surprising. Somebody like Clifford, who's just a basketball junkie who I mean, he's had some health issues that I think maybe that would actually be a fit. Um, I actually don't know if he's unemployed right now, just hanging out, doing whatever. I'm not sure his status. But somebody like that, maybe you could coax him into doing it. So somehow, some way, the Big East is just rolling with Georgetown's been a complete passenger in Big East. Yeah, Is it 2.0? I mean, because what, 1.0 – and then I guess 2.0 would have been like when you added the Louisville's and the Marquettes, right? So is this 3.0? Mm-hmm. Whatever. What, whatever. The latest version of the Big East. If you had said they're going to – I mean, I, I remember walking my dog when I was sort of trying to go over like, oh, my God, Syracuse and Pitt are leaving. What is this going to leave? Like I was like – I was devastated. You know, like yeah. I, I love I love the sport. I love this mm-hmm. team. You know, like I want them to matter if they're in a league with Providence and Seton Hall. Like that sucks. Well, no, Providence and Seton Hall people are saying that about <laughs> about Georgetown yeah. somehow, which is it doesn't even make sense, right? But okay, so seven teams look like they're getting in, unless maybe Xavier loses to Butler. Is that the game? Uh, whatever. If they get seven in, can we take this time? I think we're on the same page here. Don't pick Providence in your bracket. No. <laughs> I would say, yeah, God. If I think Providence is at risk of getting Florida Gulf coasted, so I I would be very nervous. Cause Providence, you can just their fans are having just the time of their lives. It is an unbelievable year. They pulled out every single close game, and as a Georgetown fan of the JT3 era, you can just see what's coming. And I hope they deal with it okay. I mean, honestly, I didn't even know that. I mean, in 2013, I didn't know that buying, and I think that year, I think it was a three-way tie, but Georgetown got the one seed in the Big East tournament. Mm-hmm. I didn't even know that it was possible to get a shirt like that. Like, I've seen the shirts everywhere on Twitter. Like, they, I mean, and I get it. And, you know, for everyone that doesn't like Jeff Goodman because he clearly has a problem with the I think he has a problem with like that one article he wrote where a bunch of players talked to him, but they they were scared of Big John, so they it was yeah. all anonymous sources. But the one thing he does always come back is, you know, hey, it's a great job, mm-hmm. it's a top twenty five job, and if Ed Cooley doesn't take it, it's not because it's not a good job; it's because 
he just feels like he owes Providence and and nothing gets Providence. Tw- well, Providence Twitter gets pretty bent out of shape in the fact that like Ken Palm has him like the luckiest team of all time. Yeah. And when Goodman decides to tell them like, hey, you know, Cooley might take the Georgetown job if it opens. They're like, why would he go there? And he's like, look, you guys are having a great season, but give me a break. <laughs> the funny part with that is if you proposition this last year to Providence fans, they w- weren't really going to be heartbroken about it. There was, they were getting kind of tired of him. So, well, I mean, there's there's possibility for that because, like, look, right now, Ed Cooley has this is hard to do. I think I pointed out to you. If I didn't, somebody else. He's got the same amount of Big East tournament championships, Big East regular season championships, and NCAA tournament wins. Yeah, he has one of each. And what he took over in 2011. I guess the 2012 season. Yeah. He's only won one NCAA tournament game. I mean, like, yeah. you know, I mean, you know, and if they don't get to the Sweet 16, that's going to be a problem. Yeah, I mean, Providence, it's not like they never had success. I mean, obviously the Patino run, but even, um, God, they didn't make the Gillen got him to the Elite Eight. The Elite Eight, yeah, was. Jamel Thomas and that whole crew. So it's not like they've never been there. So it's, I would think first round this year, he's, he's going to have a little bit of pressure. I think someone mentioned that like his starting five is older than like some NBA, some NBA starting fives. That's probably right. If you looked at the birthdays of those guys, I think, I think they're all at least 22 with some. Yeah. Oh no. Well, yeah. I think you got a couple guys much older than that. Yeah. Um, and that's fine. That's that's college basketball. Uh, do you think it's basically just Villanova again? I mean, like, you know, for as much as the Big East, like I said, has done a great job of getting teams in the tournament, really all you've got is, you know, well, not, I mean, it's not all, but you got Villanova with those two, those two national championships. Even Villanova in the years where they don't win the national championship, they've sort of struggled to get out of the second round. I mean, looking yeah. at Jay right here since 2013, you got round one, round two, round two, championship, round two, championship, round two, no tournament, sweet 16. So, you know, since the Big East became whatever it is now, he's gotten out of the first weekend three times. Two of them, he won the whole damn thing. One of them, he got to the sweet 16. I think mm-hmm. last year they might have lost, was it, did they lose to Baylor in the, I think they lost to Baylor. Yeah, it was Baylor. Um, but, you know, you think it's all them again? I mean, like, I could see if Marquette, Marquette basically did for a month what Shaka did when they got to the final four, which mm-hmm. is just play all crazy and, you know, really disrupt you, but also shoot the lights out. Yeah. And you just can't count on that. If, if a team was going to catch fire kind of out of nowhere, out of that group, it'd be them. Yeah. But if, I think if so Villanova too. was the only team left standing after the first weekend, I, I don't think I'd be shocked. I guess Connecticut. I think at one point, maybe it was Connecticut Villanova, and I think uh, Hurley had a tweet something about like ah, you know, it felt like Sweet Sixteen, and I think I responded like ah, oh, well, how would he know? He hasn't, you know, Hurley hasn't, <laughs> he hasn't been. I think someone responded that uh, maybe uh, he was on. A, he, he's like a red shirt at Seton Hall when they got to the Sweet Sixteen as yeah. as a, uh, a a player, but you know, I don't know if Richmond's out for Seton Hall. Like I don't like them. Uh, Creighton, you know, maybe I, th- I think did Creighton go to the Sweet Sixteen last year, and I think they just ran into the buzzsaw that is Gonzaga. I think, yeah, yeah, That's they lost to Gonzaga right. last year. It's kind of remarkable they recovered from the. I mean, the wheels that come off from them felt like a couple times, and then they still rallied to the Sweet Sixteen. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, uh, the whole plantation comment, which I, yeah, I was, yeah. you know, maybe if he's not in Omaha, he doesn't like he doesn't survive that. Yeah. Uh, you know, but if, you know, you you can always go back and say things, but and I, I'm saying this as someone that I'm looking at my wall and I've got the Big East Championship hat from last year. Mm-hmm. If you went back and you said, "Hey, you know, after the, the moment after that game, what was the final score?" Well, actually, I'm not going to say it because it's I'm I'm, <laughs> I'm going to say the one that's actually wrong. If <laughs> if you know what I mean, but after that game and the just complete shellacking they gave them. If you said what was going to happen afterwards, you'd probably say, look, 
Creighton, go ahead and take this. <laughs> we got you, you, you. I mean, <laughs> it's that box score from that Saturday night. It's that will go down in history the way this era is playing out. It just it. You know how they used to say in the Boston Garden that there was an imaginary leprechaun on the rim smacking off opponent shots. It yeah. feels like Big Big John was in the building that night. Just, I mean, to go on a thirty-nine to five run. It's I, the further we get from that, the the more incredible it looks in hindsight. I think Blair hit a shot, and by the way, I was big. I think we recorded right after that night or whatever. And I mean, it, it was you know fun things to argue about, but I was pretty big on Blair should be the MVP, just because yeah. his role off the bench and like he could do things. You know, we talk about this team and like no one can really create their own shot unless Dante just decides to just take a shot. Mm. <laughs> um, but you know what Javon was able to do and you have no one that could, that could replicate that. And I think in that game, he hit like a crazy like bank shot that made no sense. And you're like, they're not losing tonight. Yeah. Um, you know, and you, you wonder if you talk, you know, if they're having discussions at Georgetown and the one, the one thing, I mean, obviously this all falls on the staff because it's not like there are any of the previous staff's players anymore and all that stuff. But the one thing I would say is I'd be like, look at every team in the league. Mm-hmm. None of our guys stayed, you know. Yeah. And then the the counter would be, well, neither did Wahab, and yeah. you know, you can't factor that these guys were all going to get fifth years. It doesn't make sense. But that is the thing that I would say. I'd be like, look, if Belay stayed, if Blair, like, I get Pickett because he was NBA. He was the one mm-hmm. NBA guy you had. But I mean, look at this team. If if you know Wahab and Belay and Blair are on it. They're certainly not zero and nineteen. They're probably like ten and nine or something. And you if, know, it's... It, and if they didn't push for that, if they thought, "Hey, your time here is done, move on," I guess. But selfishly, you had to do that this past year. And I don't know if they tried to re-recruit them or not. But like Paul Scruggs from Xavier had really no business taking that extra year. But Travis Steele probably knew, "Hey, if we want any shot." I've got to get him back for another year. So I would be interested to know if they actually tried to get Belay back or if they even pitched Pickett about the potential or Blair. It's it's a good what if. I mean, it seems like just based on the way things were going, just kind of like the weird, you know, late season DNP for Blair. It almost Mm -hmm. seems like there was something going on that it was just like, you know, hey, this was great. We got to this point. I think we're all tired of each other. That's just me reading yeah. between the lines. But, you know, unfortunately, you know, it's not the NBA. You can't pick up guys on 10 days. You know, you can't you can't just – the waiver wire is done at a certain point, even though they almost pulled it off with Bristol. And, you know, probably lucky for him that he didn't, he didn't end up playing at all this year. I think he's got yeah. three years of eligibility, and you wouldn't have want to wasted it as part of a second semester in this season, even though I'm sure competitively – he wants to play because he's a player. Players want to play. That's the whole. Mm-hmm. That's that's the whole point. But uh, yeah, it's a hard fix. And th- this was probably in the Big East history, probably the worst year to be young like this. But then you yeah. also say like, look around, right? Like Creighton found some dude that's like a Division two All American. Yeah. Like how how does this shit happen? Yeah, I mean Creighton. It's it's kind of the counter to saying you couldn't be young this year because well, they start today. Today they started a division two transfer. O'Connell's still there as a senior called friend as a sophomore. Then they went freshman, freshman, first guy off the bench, freshman, six man rotation. So you had three freshmen and a sophomore and a D two transfer. A sixth year do you, a sixth year D two transfer. Like I, I was doing the preview and I wasn't really paying attention to them yet. And I'm like, who is this? And then yeah. I went to his page and I'm like, what in the hell? <laughs> it's but Creighton to their credit, they have a culture there. Even when it almost got ruined by McDermott last season, somehow they've kept it together. And it's guys, it doesn't matter the faces that come in. They all, play to the same system and they play it well yeah well do we miss anything i don't think so it's uh 
hopefully we get an answer here pretty soon. Yeah, I think we all, I think, I think you, Andrew, and I did a pod, and I think you predicted he would step down during the season. I think you were even like, this, is he going to make it the week? I don't remember what, what week it was. Andrew was pretty sure he wasn't going to be back, and I was the one that said, I think he's going to be back. If we have to revisit that now, I'm more like 55, 45, he's back. But mm-hmm. some of the things that I've seen recently, you know, going back to, like I said, last week, senior day, him saying, I hope to be back, which was kind of, and, and then just sort of the way the statement from Reed was, and I, I'm not trying to be tinfoil hat guy, but then, you know, Patrick not wanting to talk about it. And then Patrick's tweet, it seems like if you're not going to retire, you wouldn't, maybe Feinstein struck a nerve because some of the people that are still at Georgetown, Feinstein's not been a friend of the program at all. Yeah. You know, he's been a thorn in the side and all that. You know, he 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 ragged, basically he used to have that tournament played at, you know, Capital One and he would just, mm-hmm. you know, do the color and just rag on Georgetown the whole time because if they weren't in the tournament, they couldn't possibly, you know, donate to children's charities, which is a total yeah. bullshit position to have. But maybe it was Feinstein, but I feel like it just seems unusual for Georgetown to do something like that. Like they're more mm-hmm. about just not telling you anything. So yeah. I thought that was, so to me that I read that as just, if he is thinking that like he sure as shit doesn't want Feinstein to be the one to put it out there. Mm. Um, so that, that's kind of, I, I still think he's probably back. I still think it'll be hard to recover from the position they're in, especially if they try and keep it within the same kind of, you know, group of, people not really you know reaching out to others but i I think i'm 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 closer to 50 50 than i felt you know when we talked about last time have you changed at all it my common sense tells me there is zero percent chance he's going to be coach again because this cannot happen at any other program in the country but that's not how it operates at georgetown so i would say i Truly like 50-50 right now. And I've heard people say, you know, the behind the scenes stuff with Brodus and maybe some other names they've reached out to. But, I, yeah, I'm totally split on it. It's my mind. <laughs> it's just hard for me to process how you could have a coach come back after this. It, it would just be crazy if if they went Brodus. And, I mean, I don't know, Cox might be in trouble. Um, of course I'm suggesting Prue be involved somehow. So I guess I'm part of it because I'm coming from the same, I'm not suggesting he'd be an assistant, but I think it just seems like if, you know, those guys and all those special assistants and, you know, video coordinators or whatever, whatever job you want to, you know, make up someone that can help. Um, so I guess I can't rag on that since I've got the same idea, but I think as far as like your three recruiting assistants, I think you probably need to do something different because, you know, the local recruiting hasn't, hasn't been there. And then I'll, I'll say this though. I think, and I said this at the end of JT three and I was a pro JT three guy. Um, I felt like if you brought JT three back that year, I thought you were making a commitment for like two or three more years because mm-hmm. that roster at the time you didn't have, you know, peak was just left waters was leaving. And even though when you look at that roster now, like, man, you had, you know, you had Jesse and Marcus and, shoot even Caleb you know, I think he's still playing in the G League um you, you know you're like that's not roster that's going to get you in the tournament so I think the same thing is with Patrick like if they come back you can't be like well he has to make the tournament or else if that's what you think then you can't bring him back because they're not going to make the tournament next year I mean I suppose they could get the best transfers in the world but you know what I mean mm-hmm. yeah it, it's to me that is the signal that the standards have changed for me, I don't want the standards to change. I think we should be competing with Connecticut, with Villanova. And you moved on from JT3 two years after he was in round two of the NCAA tournament. And now, I mean, we've – and I don't mean to take away the Big East tournament, the four days, but you've got a five-year sample now, and it's – if you can move on from JT3, and I know it's different because Patrick is Patrick. He helped get the program to where it was. But I think if you can move on from JT3, you can do the same here. 
Yeah, but I think you want to do it if it happens. And I think this is the biggest part. You know, when, when they dedicated John Thompson Jr. Court, you know, Ronnie or JT3 didn't go out there, which I think is mm-hmm. – if that was their decision, that's great. Maybe they felt like it would take away from the moment. I don't know. But I, I don't think you ever want to be in a position where, you know – Patrick doesn't want to come to something because he's sore about the way it went. If that makes yeah. sense. Like you got to find a way. Like I had uh, Zach Braziller on, and I think he was talking about like, you know, he set up a game in San Francisco and then they went at St. John's went out there and he didn't come and they have a statue of Carneseca and, you know, Mullen didn't come. Like you never want to get in a position like that. And that, that's yeah. obviously the risk when you go with the hire, but you got to find a way if it does go wrong that you can't, you can't alienate this guy. Yeah. I think the that, amazing you know. part to me is looking back at Mullen. <laughs> he got an at large bid that last year, which sounds nuts in hindsight, but he did. <laughs> it was the playing well, game, but he still got there. I think the crazier thing was the year before, I think they were like, zero and 10 in the league. And then they knocked off number one, Duke uh, non-conference. Yeah. And then they knocked off, I think Villanova was ranked in the top five. And it was like, yeah. I think they rattled off a couple wins. And I remember being like, are, are they going to get themselves on the bubble? <laughs> I mean, they've got two wins better than like anybody. And the, I mean, St. John's was almost the opposite where they, I, I can't remember all the names, but they surrounded him with a pretty well-regarded staff. But it was Mullen who apparently didn't want to do the work didn't really wasn't totally invested where it almost feels flipped to Georgetown. Yeah, well, unfortunately March is going to be a really interesting month for Georgetown, but not for the reasons that you would hope for. Although I guess we'd even talk right like they're gonna play Marquette. I mean basically today and it's I'm I'm just sick for saying this. I thought they had the best path for an 0 and 19 team possible to get to Friday night. You know, playing a Seton Hall team that you you could have you could have swept. Um, and it then is Seton Hall now, right? I think it's Marquette now. I thought. I think Marquette's they're going to wrap up this win against St. John, so I think they got the five. If I'm not mistaken. Oh, okay, okay. So it's contingent on it is Seton Hall. I think. Okay. Well. Okay. The last bracket I saw before I ran in my office so I could get on the Zoom with um, Ewing was that the six eleven was Marquette Georgetown. I was like, oh my god, that's what a, what a terrible matchup. <laughs> but uh, yeah, Seton Hall without Richmond, I suppose that's possible. They could pull a DePaul from two thousand nine, and they could you know I think DePaul beat Cincinnati. But you know you got UConn sitting there. Like I think if Georgetown played Villanova ten times. I think they could win twice. I do. Really? I mean, yes. Like, they were beating them <laughs> in the second half at home. And they made it – like it was close up there for a second. I thought they got some bad calls. I mean, look, uh, you know, Georgetown was on 0-19 because they got some bad calls. I thought in that game they got a couple like, – I thought after Aminu got the technical, he couldn't get anything. That's fair. Okay, maybe no, two. It, it, okay, maybe – Okay, maybe maybe one, but I feel like if they played them ten times, they could they could get a W. I feel like you could play UConn fifty times and go zero and fifty. That yeah, that far I think for sure. And the way a Georgetown basketball team should look is how UConn is starting to look, which makes it all the more depressing. I tell you what, I was against adding them to the league. Yeah. <laughs> now I know that that's definitely loser talk. But I was thinking, like, hey, look, if you're Providence, you don't want these guys in because they've no. never been good at the same time. And then if you're Georgetown, like, you know. So, yeah, uh, hopefully we get something soon, definitive. And if Patrick does stay, I think, I think you know, the statement by Lee Reed was nice. I think a statement by Patrick Ewing would be nice. And yeah. I think as someone that's on his press conferences and I've gotten to, you know, know him a little bit, you know, as much as you can know someone, you know, that in this position, um, particularly the last two years where it's been all zoom, but he, he's definitely likable. But as far as the post game stuff, I want to hear him take responsibility a little bit. And I think 
If he stays, I think he should. I think the opportunity is there for him to say, "Hey, look, you know what? This hasn't been good enough. We got to find a different way." I think stuff like that. I know a lot of people listening probably don't want to hear me say this. I think stuff like that for me would go a long way because then I would feel like whatever these new assistants are, if that's what they're doing, that he's going to actually listen to them. I, I think that he should do something like that. And maybe if it's not for everyone, maybe it's just Hoya Hoop Club or whatever decision that yeah. they make. I think I think that the fan base needs to hear something, not just run it out there and November 5th, they play Morgan State and it's just like everything's back to normal. You know what I mean? Like I feel yeah. I, I feel like they like this, you, you, you have something like this and you've got to do a little bit more than normal, I think. Yeah, you need something. All right. Well, I think we fixed it. I think uh, everything's on track. Um, thanks everyone for listening. You, you know, no one was back. So uh, you guys could leave me alone about that. Like, like I've like, you know, frozen you out or something. Um, <laughs> I don't know. We'll see. We'll see about uh, post post Big East tournament wrap up. Maybe they can get a win. I do think too. lost in all this is I think, you know, it'd be really nice if the players, can get a win, you know, in 2022, like it's got, whatever our job is, like whatever you do, you, you go in and you put effort in like for them, the result is getting a win. So I think if they, yeah. could, if they could find a way to win, it's gotta be hard. I mean, I know that they're young and they're in college and it's the best time of their lives, but you know, they take a lot of criticism. Hopefully they don't go to message boards. And uh, I think it'd be good if they got a win. Agreed. No, no team should have to endure this. He's at Nationwide Nolan. Follow him on Twitter at Bobby Bancroft. You obviously found Kente Corner. Make sure to subscribe. Let me know what what you think we need to do better. I'll try and get the guests on that you like, particularly Nolan. And until next time.